This episode of Locked On White Sox is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. White Sox! White Sox! Go, 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 go! Call your sons, call your daughter! Holy cow! You can put it on the board! Yeah! Well, it's a perfect game! Renato, grand slam! A White Sox winner and a world championship! The dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know? Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey, and the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Sox podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello, friends, and welcome in to the Locked On White Sox podcast, your team every day. I'm your host, Chris Tannehill. Herb Lawrence sold all of his internal organs to pay for White Sox season tickets. We're going to bring you part two today of our conversation with Jeff Ellis of Locked on Indians. Yesterday's conversation was so insightful in terms of how the Cleveland Indians ownership operates, what their team's going to look like in 2021, and whether or not they should be feared in the Central this season. So here's part two. We were so greedy in part one where we just asked Jeff all of our Indians questions, and now Jeff gets to ask us our White Sox questions. So enjoy. It's part two of our conversation with Jeff Ellis of Locked on Indians. So having this opportunity to talk with both of you from Locked on Sox here with Chris and, and Herb. Uh, I wanted to ask about some of the things that have gone on. I think the White Sox are the team to beat, but I, I am kind of curious about some of the transactions this year. The big one, at least from my perspective, and I'm curious to hear if, if it also feels like the big perspective uh, with White Sox fans, the Lance Lynn deal. I feel like I saw a lot of people who were happy to add him, and then I also saw some pushback against the general cost to what what he might be. It's kind of curious what your guys' take on the addition of Lynn and that trade in general. I thought that getting Lance Lynn was a clutch move for the White Sox. They needed the top of the rotation pitcher like he was. The thing I think with most White Sox fans is that he's only signed for this year and he's up there in like early 30s. And the guy that they gave up, Chris and I are huge fans of, Dane Dunning. I think is going to have an above average major league career. I think with a couple all-star games in there, maybe not in Texas specifically, but the guy knows how to pitch. And even though he faltered last year in the game three start versus Oakland, I think that's expected of any rookie in his first uh, postseason start. So giving him up for just a guy that eventually will maybe leave after this year's over, where you see Blake Snell with multiple years on his contract, giving up uh, the Padres what they gave up. And then the same thing happened with Hugh Darvish, the same thing that happened with Joe Musgrove, the same thing that happened with Jamison Tyone. They weren't really traded for any meat until like way down the road. So giving up a good player that's going to help a major league team currently where we could have been given up a younger player down the road where really hurt us their lottery tickets was the only thing that I think White Sox fans are quibbling about the Lance Lynn deal. I think us as fans, we love to have a guy that's going to be a horse, a top, what, top five, top 10 pitcher in the American League the last two years. So the player is going to be excellent. We just wish he was a little younger and 
we had him for a little bit more years. Yeah, on, on paper, you know, the move is it's a little curious to say the least. You know, it was it was the move that started off the whole offseason for the Sox. And, you know, I, I've loved everything that I've seen and heard from Lance Lynn. Like, he's just a, you know, a, Dallas Keiko calls him Tonka truck and a, and a hoss. Like, he just goes out there and does his job. And you don't know exactly how he's doing it with the fastball at his age, but he does it. And today, even in a spring game, he's MF and the umpire, you know, coming <laughs> off of the, the, the mound and inning two in a spring game. So I think the, the rotation could use that type of guy. So I think like it just doesn't make sense when you take a look at that trade and you compare it to the rest of the transactions from this offseason because when you have one year of Lance Lynn – like you're you're telling me that you're basically going all in for this year. Like I, you know, I'm not ready yet to talk about a contract extension for Lance Lynn when you have some of the guys that they had that they believe in, like Kopech, and you know they're supposedly going to turn around Ronaldo Lopez this year under the tutelage of Ethan Katz. So nope. I'm not so sure about that, and I'm also not so sure about giving Lynn a contract extension. So they they didn't really go all in with the other moves, like getting one year of Lance Lynn for a guy who you saw perform at the major league level and Dane Dunning didn't make a whole lot of sense but at the same time like if you just look at their chances this year to win the World Series like they this may be their best shot so if, if you get one ring you know like they say banners fly forever because you made a bold trade for Lance Lynn and then God bless Dane Dunning can have all the success in the world in Texas and then the other kid they give up Avery Weems as it was a guy that most Sox fans hadn't heard of until they made the deal and we end up hearing that that was like the guy that that you know the Rangers uh, scouting and development team was sold on to, to make, get the deal done so you know this could be a, a trade that works out well for both parties uh, but for the White Sox it's, it is kind of a curious move considering the timeline of, of the Lance Lynn contract people listen to my podcast know that before I was doing this I used to write about the draft and probably my biggest brag point uh was for two years in a row, I predicted the White Sox draft pick uh, the first day after the season ended. So I have to ask about those two players, uh, Nick Madrigal, Andrew Vaughn. We know Madrigal is projected to slot in. Uh, when do you think, I assume we'll see Vaughn this year, and just your overall thoughts on those two players. Like I said, I have to ask. I know people who listen to Lockdown Indians have heard me talk about that for years because when you can nail a pick before the teams do uh, in my way too early mock, it's, you know, those are the <laughs> only picks good, I've ever yeah. gotten right in the last 10 years. So it's, it's always a, a something I have to bring up when I can. Well, Nick, yeah, he'll make the team coming out. He uh, had offseason shoulder surgery because he doesn't know how to slide. Uh, apparently it was last year. <laughs> we had a tough time with Nick magical, this show in particular, me in particular, because he was not that smart that, uh, that he was billed as to be. So he uh, got a rough ride here, but I think the kid has kind confidence he's already talking about getting 300 3000 hits in his career like you know not bragging but he's like you know i possibly can do that he's a hit machine that's what he's going to do he's going to hit his way onto the bases last year he had 340 in limited action and that was a huge uh for you to pick nick magic to be the third overall pick what is that seven eight months before the draft that is amazing because he hadn't even had his season yet but um yeah, uh, Andrew Vaughn, they've been talking all offseason about how mature he is and how ready he is for the majors. And we see it in spring training. He, the guy knows how to hit. He's only been in, I think, a ball. Like, of course, last year got canceled for the minor league, so he was at the alternate site the whole time. But some insiders were saying that he was crushing at the alternate site. But those are not major league pitchers he was going against. So... They've been talking about going from single A to the majors starting the year. 
But with the White Sox, I know we talked about the Indians being cheap. We have also a cheap owner and a team that likes to play games. So you talk them up all season about, man, this is Andrew Vaughn. Watch out when you see him. And then, hmm, Andrew's probably got to sign an extension before he makes a team or we're going to be suing some uh, service time manipulation. And so they're out here probably going to try to have somebody else be the designated hitter, but they don't have any good candidates to do that. As the White Sox saw Andrew Vaughn as the answer at designated hitter, but also don't want to pay somebody to be the designated hitter so they can do this service time manipulation. And everybody would be like, oh, man, you got Nelson Cruz? Smooth. Andrew Vaughn could sit his ass on the bench. But I think, in my heart of hearts, that he's not going to sign an extension. And there's no reason to if, if I was Andrew Vaughn because that new CBA comes up and maybe you get grandfathered out of that one and you didn't get uh, out of the deal before the seventh year. And we all know that the White Sox need the guy to hit because there's no one, literally no player on the team that has done designated hitter for full time in the major leagues. None. I mean, you can go with Lucroy, but he hasn't done it as full time. So there's Andrew Vaughn or nothing. So I'm very, very uh, high on the kid because he has to do well for the White Sox to do well. Yeah, if you pegged him uh, to be selected by the White Sox before he actually got picked, like you remember what people said about Andrew Vaughn at the time was that the bat was ready on day one. Like he could enter a big league lineup the day after he was drafted and make a contribution. Like the, the funny thing about that is like what Herb said about the White Sox kind of going on the cheap on the DH role when you're going all in you know, with Lance Lynn and then you go cheap on the DH when you have plenty of solid suitors out there. You know, throughout our entire lives, the White Sox, you know, scouting has been lackluster to say the least. It isn't until the last few years where they've hit more than they miss. But really, that's from Rickon making some savvy trades and getting guys that other teams have developed, and they really haven't developed many of their own guys. So when you talk about Andrew Vaughn, like they're they're betting on themselves that they're right about Andrew Vaughn, and it's not you know a, a crazy risk. Uh, to, to, to think that he could thrive and, and be the DH on day one and just take you know hit the ground running but our history watching the White Sox is a little skeptical about that um, you know it wouldn't surprise me if he was an effective guy at DH and and we don't have to worry about him and we will laugh it off like how do we ever doubt Andrew Vaughn because just already what you're seeing with the approach from a kid that young it's pretty impressive um, but I, I do wish they would have had a backup plan there and now with Yasmani Grandal, dealing with some injury issues here you know ever since spring training opened up I'm wondering if they'll just DH Yasmani at the beginning and kind of rotate guys out if they're going to do the service time manipulation with Andrew Vaughn or if he's not ready or if you know or if he just looks bad uh back to Madrigal though it, we joke about him all the time like he's like a, a, the guy on the team that's the brunt of all of our jokes because we, he's such like the ceiling is, is so low on a guy like that at least in, in terms of the way we look at it like the hit tool is obviously pretty elite but you know not 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 a lot of power there like he's a guy that we joke about like he could hit 400 and we, at the end of the year we'd be like yeah he had a fine year you know ultimately like he wasn't a run producer and you 400 know average 400 <laughs> yeah exactly um you know but I, hopefully he cleans up some of those rookie mistakes and he made a, a you know base running error in the postseason too uh during in that a series that was frustrating and, and he's he's made a lot of like aggressively dumb physical uh errors out there uh well actually mental errors on 
base running side. But, you know, he's he's going to hit, and I'm a firm believer in lineup balance. Like, I think a guy like that really profiles nicely in the White Sox lineup. I think he'll be hitting in the lower third. Uh, if, if I'm, you know, what I know about Tony La Russa, I think they'll probably have Eaton towards the top and Madrigal at the bottom to sort of yes. turn it over. I know, Herb, it's, I'm not Tony La Russa, Herb. Let's, let's, we're, you know, so I, I think he's a guy that'll that'll just hit. It'll continue to hit. And they did joke that they called him Mr. 3000 after they talked about that. They made T-shirts with, you know, the Bernie Mac movie poster and his face imposed on it. And they, they had fun with it, which which I do like from a young kid. Like He's got the confidence, like Herb said. Uh, you know, the question is, like, can the defense go back to being an elite glove like he was in college because we didn't see a lot of that in 2020 because he did miss a lot of time with the injury but uh, yeah I, I think he'll be fine you know I don't know if that's a number one pick but as far as White Sox position players go if you could just pencil in pencil him in the lineup every day for the next you know five to ten years we'll all consider it a win no matter how good or bad the uh, production is it's always going to be a little bit of a sore subject with Indians fans who's magical with someone they they drafted out of high school and we thought he was going to sign and instead they signed a uh, Luke Wakamatsu, you know, uh, Don's son. Okay. And they went for the wrong guy, uh, which it's it just par for the course because last year in the draft, Austin Martin and Asa Lacey were a pair of former Indians draft picks who went in the top five. So we're kind of used to seeing that. Uh, and, and the whole reason I, I pegged them, honestly, the White Sox was approach. It's like after seeing Berger and Sheets and everyone else they had drafted. But I will say, like, I got into some trouble last year because in general, I said I didn't have big separation between Vaughn and Torkelson. That's just my approach. I thought Vaughn had the best approach I've ever seen in a college hitter. So just a, a big fan of his in general. So I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing him there. And I think he has that potential to be something special just because the approach is so clean and he is going to be an on-base monster, I think, long-term. This is a huge... You mean, you're not wrong. There's a huge drought before. Uh, let's see. It's Timmy was great. And then after Tim Anderson's draft, you got a lot of players that have uh, washed out or haven't made it or in Berger's case have torn their AC or their uh, Achilles twice. So unlucky. But yeah, to switch to a guy like having a guy like uh, Nick Magical drafted by the White Sox, to me, that was surprising. It was a guy that doesn't profile as a, a bopper, doesn't profile as a guy that's going to get a lot of extra base hits. And for him to be picked, I what is it, third or fourth overall in the draft was surprising to me, but I have to trust the people. I think that was a, was that Mike Shirley's first draft, uh, Tanny? Or was that the end of uh, the... I, th that, I think that was at the, the end Hostetler. of Hostetler, which is kind of yeah, weird because if they're so high on him, like why did they move Hostetler aside if they love Madrigal so much? Maybe it was like the, the totality of what he did with the rest of the picks. Um, but I think the Collins pick is really what they look at Hostetler and his tenure. They're like, yeah, what, what was going on here? But I think uh, the reason why he's still in the organization is because of Madrigal. So funny, maybe not funny for you guys' story. <laughs> Back when uh, it was like my first or second year at Scout, that Collins pick, uh, I had it in my mock. I had it in my mock, and I went to a good source who said that they were not on Collins. They really liked this prep shortstop. So the last second I changed it, that prep shortstop was Gavin Lux. Uh, <laughs> oh that was the player I was told was the uh, was the runner up to Zach Collins. Not to not to rub any salt in the wounds there, but um, yeah, 
I was kicking myself all day for going with the the last second info. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll say this though: like if they were if they were interested in Lux and they had Tatis in their organization, it shows me the process is right. Like you know, they, they down the trough there, they may be screwing things up, but at least like the the scouting is at least somewhat there if they're at least uh, close to these guys. You know yeah, what I mean? Just like Jeff said earlier, like how the Indians have missed on so many guys, they scout well like they you know they have uh the guys you know the two guys you said that got picked uh first uh top five rounds uh this year or uh, top five picks this past year so the indians for everything we talked about in the episode before the indians know how to draft they know how to get people keeping them a little tough but drafting no that's not tough at all at all for the indians they need to we need to steal some people from the Indians and get that going for the White Sox because they want to be that small market team. That's the only oh, they would the love White it. Sox. They'd love it so much. They want but they the can't Reeves. draft they and develop. The they can't draft yeah. and develop like the Indians, though. That's the well, problem. Just don't uh, don't go for outfielders from Cleveland. Like Luke Scott, I think is still our most the highest WAR outfielder of the last. 10 20 yeah. years to either drafters <laughs> yeah don't don't go to the indians for outfielders uh it is ugly uh just it, while i have some time here i know you mentioned it uh the that with our sponsor bet online i actually mentioned on my podcast last week i think it's kind of interesting that when you go and you look at the cy young uh ranks that there are two there's a white Sox and an indians player who have the same point value or the same line uh and that is Dylan Cease and Zach Plesak for the Cy Young. Also in that group, uh, Otani, Minor, Severino, Dylan Bundy, who was really good last year, and Chris Bassett, who was also really good. What What are your guys' thoughts on Dylan Cease? I, I mean, this stuff's always been electric. Is this the put-together and reach that type of Cy Young contention type of season? Well, spring, you always get the, man, we fixed this. He's in the best shape of his life type of garbage. To have Dylan Cease among those names that you just had, to me is blasphemy. <laughs> it's it's a like these are it's a betting site, and we love our folks at BetOnline.ag, but that's that's not good value. I would much rather go with somebody like Plesac, a person that you could see the potential. You see how Dan Dan Plesac, how Zach Plesac is so good. Dylan Cease has the potential, but he's never put it all together. Now, Ethan Katz, new pitching coach, has probably found something. And uh, Rick Giolito, Lucas's dad, was on a podcast with us, and he says, wait until you see what Ethan Katz does with Dylan Cease and Ronaldo Lopez. He was really excited to see the change that's going to go on with um, Cease, you know, using more hips. They're, they're getting working with him in the offseason. So, yeah, the, the great talk you always hear about it, especially as White Sox fans, the pitching coach always fixing it and used to be Coop. Now it's going to be Katz who's going to fix these pitchers. I'm not high on Dylan Cease. I'm not I'm not Ronaldo Lopez low on him, but I'm yeah, it's a good spot for him on a championship contender to be the fourth or fifth starter. I would much rather him be the fifth, but fourth will be fine. If he could take one step up, I don't need him to be Cy Young contender. I don't need him to be all-star Dylan Cease. I just need him to be consistent. Four-plus ERA, a low-floor ERA, throwing 150 innings, not putting the bullpen in a bad position, and not having those blow-up innings every single start, like cruising and then blowing up and then the game's over for him. 
I just want a progression, a natural progression from a guy that you really couldn't count on, which we didn't start him as the third starter for the playoffs. They gave it to Dayton Dunning. Yeah, I'm, from I'm that to the to another guy that's gonna be okay. He's not great. He's decent. He's all right. Well, well we can go with this. Yeah, I'm Danny, sorry. No, I'm sorry, Herb. Uh, I'm pretty high on Cease. You know, Herb knows that. You know, he, he's a smart kid. He's got the stuff. And as bad as he's been at times, like he was never as bad as Lucas Giolito was uh, in uh, in 2018. Okay, so the like the 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 floor was never that quite low for him. So that's why I have belief that he just has to make a couple tweaks. And, you know, hopefully under the tutelage of Ethan Katz, he will make those tweaks. But above all, he just has to, you know, cut down the walks considerably, get out of his own head at times. I think sometimes maybe he's a little too cerebral out there. Um, I think those things will eventually click into place. You know, these guys develop on their own timeline, but I think everything is set up for him to take that next step this year because, yes, there's expectations on the team, but he's got several guys ahead of him that have already proven that they're top end starters in, in baseball. So like, you know, he, all he has to do is sort of just follow the lead a little bit and hopefully learn a thing or two from Lance Lynn, you know, a, another right-handed, you know, pitcher who's done it time after time in major leagues. And, you know, maybe he can help him spot the fastball a little bit better and he'll, he'll learn some things and he'll naturally progress and get a little better uh, breakout year. I don't, I don't know about that, but I think this would be, uh, the, the best year to do that if, if it was going to be him. Like, if he doesn't put it together this year, I don't know where you're at with him. Um, I guess, you know, you'd wait and see after the end of the season and evaluate things on a whole. But there's other guys coming behind him, like, you know, Michael Kopech, obviously. And, you know, they're saying great things, like I mentioned, about Ronaldo Lopez, and not to mention the guys like Jimmy Lambert that are in, in AAA and Jonathan Stever, who we saw a little bit last year in a, in a spot start. Like, they're, the White Sox are developing pitching finally uh, for the first time in a while and now there's competition there so I, I think Dylan Cease knows that but we've all seen he has the stuff it's not like we don't know what they saw in this guy like from from the very beginning you saw the best of the best and the worst of the worst of it so if you can just you know make those tweaks and, and meet somewhere in the middle like he's going to be fine like they're going to score enough runs to, to keep him out there and like Herb said you know just sort of limit the bullpen usage on his days and kind of keep everyone on the schedule because there's a lot of moving parts here with what they're trying to do with guys like Garrett Crochet and Michael Kopech and you know they're, they're talking about rotating Aaron Bummer on a day and then Crochet the next day so you know we want to see that bullpen because they're going to be a weapon but we don't want to, to have them uh, overtaxed you know when it comes uh, time to uh, get into the postseason there so yeah I'm very high in Dylan season and I do think he will put it together this year. I like Lambert reference uh, back when I was at 24 seven, I put him like fifth highest ranked prospect back before he got hurt two years ago. Uh, so uh, I took some flack for that at the time. And, and I'll admit I should have him over uh, Robert because I, I just didn't trust uh, we, the success rate out of Cuba had been low and he was still low in the minors as a defense. I can always admit when I make mistakes, but I'm glad to hear that. Like Lambert isn't lost in that shuffle. Yeah, of, uh, Tony LaRusso, Tony LaRusso said that he's going to be a guy that's going to be in the mix, like to make a you know possibly a spot start early on in the year, which I was really surprised. Like that, this was a guy that fell under the radar, below the radar last year. He, he did have an injury issue, but when we did see him in the summer camp uh, and you know early in the season, he, he looked good. You know, so I, I think Tony LaRusso noticed that as well. So hey, don't be, don't be surprised if you see Jimmy Lambert make a spot uh, start or two early on in the season. 
We're going to step aside, take a quick timeout. On the other side, you guys will find out who we think is the team to beat in the AL Central for 2021. Stay here. We'll be back on Locked on White Sox. This episode of Locked on White Sox is brought to you by our friends at rockauto.com. You know, folks, there's many reasons to repair and maintain your automobile, but first one, most important is to save money, right? Preventative maintenance, it's key for any automobile owner. So tell me something, why would you choose to spend 30, 50, or even 100% more for the exact same auto parts at a chain store or a new car dealership? Why do that when you have access to a vast catalog of auto parts for a fraction of the price at rockauto.com. You see, what I'm talking about here is these chain stores that you go to, they've got different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers like you and I. But rockauto.com's prices are always the same for everybody, and most importantly, they're always reliably low. rockauto.com offers the lowest prices possible rather than charging prices based on what the market will bear, sort of like how airlines do. But rockauto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login. RockAuto.com is a family business, and they've been serving auto parts customers like you and I online for over 20 years. So go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. And when you do that, do us this favor, won't you? Write "locked on" in their "How'd you hear about us" box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need at RockAuto.com. Betting on baseball doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favorite picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. Follow Locked on Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get your podcasts. And now back to Jeff Ellis from Locked on Indians. So, you know, Indians fans, we like to think we're going to contend this year. We like to think we're going to have an opportunity in this division. So, uh, you know, Break it to us. Be honest here. Who? What team is really your concern? And the White Sox are the favorite. They're the favorite everywhere. Is there I, more concern with the Twins, the Indians? Which one actually bothers you guys or gives you guys a little more fear? Well, um, hmm. I don't like the Twins more, so that's the thing. <laughs> um, I think the Twins are are competition with the Central. The Indians always like we're talking the other day about. You know, I was surprised that you saying that the offense might be the catalyst of the Indians. When I look at them, I think about pitching. I think about that top line starter in Shane Bieber, and I'm like, just cash it in that day. And then you guys, I, I don't know, like that Savale guy, I think he's great. I think he's pretty good. I think Plesak's good. Tristan is great. Like, I'm just looking at all these pitchers and like, Indians are going to win games two to one. That like their offense, I look at them like the first bases. I don't know those guys. Maybe they're big time prospects, like, but they don't look like the Indians of old. They don't look like you. You know, when you got Lindor up there, I'm like, man, throw a walk up there. And all the switch hitters you guys had uh, with Cesar Hernandez and of course Jose Ramirez. I'm like, God, can how can we pitch these guys? And I, and whenever I think about Jose Ramirez, I always think about that walk off goddamn home run that hit at the end of the year. <laughs> It just hurts my heart. Like I, we, it's like we knew it was coming. It was just like a shendo to it coming, and then when it happened, I was like, like why can't he just do it earlier? So when I think about the Indians, I think yes, they're gonna be the third place team, but I think about the what eighteen, nineteen games versus them. I'm like, it's just gonna be a battle. It's gonna be pulling teeth to beat the Indians where other teams and you're going to see other teams beat them. And you're like, how do they do that? 
How like the Indians this year, if we face them 18 times, I think the White Sox should take 12. But I know that's not going to be true. I know it's going to be even up and like it was last year. And the Indians are going to get the, the designation over the White Sox like last year where they were the second place team and the White Sox were the third place team just because the White Sox uh, collapsed down the down the stretch. But I think it's going to be right now, I would say twins and White Sox interchangeable. I got the twins slightly ahead and then the Indians right below them. Yeah, I would I would agree. It's still the Twins because they, you know they were the division champs last year, so you just kind of have to give them the benefit of the doubt there. But their offense is kind of has been all or nothing in the times that that those Sox have seen them, and you know you know what you're going to get there, and they're certainly beatable. I feel like you know as as long as you're you're executing your pitches against the Twins, like you can have pretty good success against them. But when I look at the Indians and why I'm so high on them is because we know that they're always going to pitch. They're going to play defense for the most part, and their situational hitting is going to be pretty good. And the whole lefty-righty thing that Tito throws out there every day, it's often problematic uh, for a young pitching staff. You know, Thankfully, the, the Sox now have a little more experienced in that area. But you know, the Indians are going to be a good litmus test for the Sox all year long. And I, and I hope they take these games against the Indians very seriously because these are this is going to be what the postseason is like, I think, for a, a team that – is not that experienced in the postseason. You had the one series versus the A's, but you talk about games that are tightly contested, like those games at the end of 2020 against the Indians, even though the Sox didn't do well overall. Those were all tightly contested games, and that's what playoff games are going to be like. So I hope they, the Sox ramp up their focus against the Indians and don't take them lightly, and I think they'll be better served in the long run because of those games against Cleveland because the, the, the right-handed arms pose a problem for this White Sox lineup, you know, that the Twins decided that they thought it would be a good move to bring on another lefty into their rotation uh, for whatever reason. Um, but the Indians just, you know, with the, those right-handed arms, that they, they pose problems for the Sox. And I, and I do think that they maybe that they're in their heads a little bit. So I hope that the Sox come out early and play well against, against the Indians, and that will be a really good gauge on how they'll fare uh, in the American League, as you look at whatever they're going to do against the Indians in 2021, and and you know that will dictate uh, who wins the division. I think between the Sox and Twins is who performs best uh, against the Indians. Just to clarify at the end here, so Indians fans don't castigate me. Uh, I do think the starting pitching will drive the team. Uh, I just think the lineup will be greatly improved uh, with some additions. I think with the Indians, it's always comes like. I was just looking at them, and I don't think I'd realized till this moment that their oldest projected starter is Zach Plesac. Mm-hmm. That's you know that's just the the nice thing with the Indians that that general youth. Before I let you guys go, I have to ask about the manager. Uh, mm-hmm. Overall thoughts, takes. I it was uh, an interesting few days. I think for anyone who writes and or uh, does media with the White Sox when they brought in Tony. So uh, initial feelings, current feelings. Has there been any change moving the needle, or was it always the same uh, in your guys' view? I've always not liked um, how they hired Tony La Russa. Um, I knew from the beginning, saw the press conference, that Rick was pissed. Rick Hahn was pissed that he had to introduce this dude that he did not want to hire as a manager. At that day, when he was introducing Tony La Russa, Rick Hahn did not know that Tony La Russa had a DUI from February. So... Tony had told this to Jerry Reinsdorf and Jerry's like, no, I'm still hiring you. Come on, man. I don't care about that. And didn't tell his general manager or his uh, vice president of baseball operations, Kenny Williams. 
So Rick had to find this out like pretty much all of us did. And I didn't like the hire initially, but then all the stuff that Tony LaRusso brought with him, I was not a fan of. But ultimately, I think that managers don't matter that much in wins and losses. So as long as Tony understands that it's a player's clubhouse and he's not in there trying to turn over uh, spreads after the end of the game and trying to uh, indoctrinate his style into what the White Sox have built uh, over years. Tim Anderson, Jose Abreu, and all these guys have built the clubhouse culture over years. And as long as he understands that and gets out of their way and just imparts some knowledge of baseball in his day, that should be fine. And I think the uh, Tony LaRusso will not get in the way of the White Sox success I'm not a fan of the hiring, but I think the hiring will ultimately work itself out because the results will be favorable. Yeah, we're pretty much lockstep on that. And, you know, certainly Tony La Russa has been great content for the show. Like, you know, if Sox fans were like, you know, really outraged uh, when when they made the hire and then, oh, God, when the DUI news came out, like, you know, they were ready to storm 35th and Shields with uh, with torches, you know. So, but I said at the time, before we even knew about the DUI, I said, you know, ask me when they break camp in spring what I think about the Tony La Russa hire. Because I think largely managers don't matter. I think, you know, he's smart enough and a good enough Hall of Famer baseball person, as you have apparently said to the uh, Maricopa County police there. Um, he is smart enough to know a good roster and know good chemistry when he sees it. So I was never worried really about him interfering with clubhouse chemistry. Like that's something that takes years to build and cultivate, and he knows that. Um, you know, and by all accounts, everyone so far loves him. Like, and I've kind of turned the corner on how I feel about him. I was worried about his sort of, you know, when you listen to him speak, like it's, it's, it sounds almost lethargic, but it, you know, maybe it's calculated, you know, it just, it does, it's not going to inspire anyone, but when you listen to him, like he, he is really smart. And I cite the Jimmy Lambert thing as an example, like that is not something I would expect, uh, the the manager of the Sox in Tony La Russa to say so early on in spring training like he knows the roster pretty well already like you could tell he's a guy that's going to do his homework day in and day out and he's going to deploy all the weapons in that bullpen to the best of his advantage and he knows what it takes to 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 maintain a winner not to build a winner but to maintain it throughout the course of a season so they're in the best position come October so I, I think we've really moved on from from the the anger that came along with the hire because. Our thought process, if you put yourself in our shoes, we did several shows and we were about to do like every day we're going to break down a candidate for the White Sox managerial position. And Rick Hahn came out and they were going to do a, 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 a great big search for the next manager and they're going to be transparent. And, you know, there's a lot of great candidates and this was a coveted job around baseball. Like, you know, this roster was ready made to win. And, you know, they just didn't have the horses in 2020 to finish the job in Oakland, and they fired the manager for it for some reason, even though he asked to, for more reinforcements on the roster, didn't get it, got fired anyway. So we were looking at this thing like, okay, managerial candidates. We mentioned Sandy Alomar yesterday. He was towards the top of my list. But then you look at other guys like A.J. Hinch, and I look back at that now, and I'm like, oh, I still don't know if, if that would have been satisfying. You know, that they would have moved on from those issues with the Astros cheating scandal a lot faster than the DUI. So there would have been considerably less drama there. But, you know, you, you have to wonder, like, how much of his success was attributed to, to that cheating scandal. So, you know, granted, Larusa had his issues as well, like, you know, on, on the backs of, you know, Mark McGuire, to, you know, twice. Uh, in St. Louis, so that there's obviously there's problematic candidates everywhere, but you know there there were no perfect candidates for this White Sox job. I don't think 
you know, there was no bench coach ready to step up and, and be the next guy that everyone loved in the clubhouse. Like, you know, they've got guys like Joe McEwing kicking around, but certainly not someone that would inspire the fan base. So I think by and large, everyone's moved on from from the ire of the hire, so to speak. And, you know, we're ready to focus on, on baseball things. And so far, I, I'm encouraged by what I've seen from him out of camp. And they've only won one game in spring, but everyone, like, they haven't lost the mojo. You know, they, 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 they haven't lost the swag. So I don't, I don't think he'll do anything about that. And I think he'll have them ready to go once the season starts. And I think he'll be able to recognize if a team is – really not stepping on the gas if, if, if they're if they're not focused as well as they should be he knows what it takes so you know I'm looking forward to you know, just moving on from all the the drama of the offseason and, and hopefully putting it behind us unless of course that dash cam video services then I'm all here for that content but uh, other than that <laughs> I think he'll put them in a good position day in and day out yeah I can just say like as a, a final thought here with that with the White Sox I've already asked you so many things I, I will say the one thing I do hope is that when the Indians face the White Sox they do not uh go fall behind that bullpen is terrifying i think it might be the best in baseball but i guess i i lied one last question when you got a lineup like that you got a pitching staff that has horses at the front and then some at least upside plays towards the back and you've got this bullpen what is the white Sox weakness i think the white Sox weakness is their starting rotation which is weird to say because the three horses they got I have no problems with like I know on Julio Lynn or Keiko days and congratulations to him uh, with the engagement to Kelly Nash from MLB Network. Just saw that the other day. Um, I have no problem with those guys. I know they're going to go out and give me a quality major league effort. When you have question marks at four and five, I don't even know where the five is this year. It could be Carlos Rodon off the injured Carlos Rodon or the inconsistency of Ronaldo Lopez. I don't know where I'm going to get from that part. Yeah, we have a great bullpen, which could step up in this regard. And we have Michael Kopech, who can do some spot starts, and Jimmy Lambert, and maybe even a Garrett Crochet, who they want to ramp up to be a starter eventually. But these are a lot of question marks. With the lineup, there's very little question marks. The only one I see is Andrew Vaughn, is the question mark there. And with the bullpen, absolutely none. Everybody in that bullpen is pretty much top notch. There's people who are not going to be put in the bullpen that are going to be devastating in their careers. So I have no problems when they uh, when Tony comes out there and brings a guy in from the bullpen because all of them are really solid. I mean, and that's it's it's not just me blowing smoke like all of them have something about them. Even guys who struggled last year, like Jimmy Cordero is a beast the year before so i have no problems with that the back end of that rotation which i think also can cause troubles with the bullpen if you use them too much by the end of the year is my concern and that's the weakness of the white Sox. yeah i would agree it's that starting rotation like there's there's a lot of question marks there and yeah obviously you know they, those questions could be answered and these guys could all of a sudden break through and and you know, start to establish their career. Guys like Dylan Cease and Michael Kopech, and you've even got some depth there, like with Ronaldo Lopez waiting on the side, and the Carlos Rodon thing. You know, I don't know if that's ever going to work, but they've got options. They can they can sustain s- some injuries here or there, but I worry about Dallas Keuchel regression. You know, he had an amazing year in 2020, sub two ERA, but that that to me, like that's hard. Uh, with, with the stuff that he throws out there every day, and yes, he's very smart, and he and he solicits uh, uh, weak contact. Um, you know that's you know 
I, I worry about that regressing a little bit. You know, it, you, it, when you when you rely on a guy who doesn't miss a lot of bats, like you know, things can go awry pretty quickly, and you all of a sudden you can look at a guy who had several good years and be like, man, that was really a rough year for old for old Dallas Keuchel. So the the rotation question marks there. I worry about depth. Just overall, like if, if someone like Moncada goes down again, like, you know, yes, they've got some guys who can do a lot of things for you, Danny Mendick and Leary Garcia, but below that in in, in AAA, like they don't have a guy that's really knocking on the door there that can that can step in from a position player aspect and, and, and fill a void for, you know, a few weeks. You know, God forbid one of your best players goes down. So, you know, I, I worry about depth overall and, and the starting rotation, but I, I don't think it's something that I – if you talk to me at the end of the year and the, and, and the White Sox win 100 games, I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I could see how, how that happened. But I could also see how it kind of goes the other way and the rest, you know, the half of the rotation doesn't live up to these expectations. So a lot of question marks there right now, but I would say that's it. Yeah, bullpen, even though – Evan Marshall is like the guy who's like going to be your probably your guy up up by a lot down by a lot guy that comes in. He carried them last year in 2020 as as your bridge guy to the closer. So like that's like even your your quote unquote weak spots like him and Jimmy Cordero like they're they've been effective in the past. So like it, that's very comforting to know that even if these guys in the rotation struggle a little bit, that they've got guys that can eat up some innings hopefully. And I, I think the way they fine tune Michael Kopech's innings. Like this is something that's really unprecedented when you look at it. It's a guy coming off Tommy John, opting out in 2020. So he ha- he by the time he pitches, like it'll be like two years since he's pitched in a big league game. Like how there's no roadmap for how you blueprint a guy's innings limit on a, in a situation like that. They say they're going to ramp him up so he'll be ready and available come October and hopefully the postseason. But they've got to really be careful how they walk that line there. Like that's 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 a big question mark to me too. Like I love him whenever he takes the mound, Kopech, but like the, you know, waiting on the White Sox to execute a plan like that, it's very, very you gotta be very cautious thinking about that kind of thing. But yeah, I, I would agree with Herb. Rotation and depth overall is uh, where I would say the weaknesses are. We'll come back, put a bow on this thing, and preview tomorrow's episode here on Locked on White Sox. Locked on White Sox is brought to you by betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football is over, but college hoops and the NHL and NBA are all in full swing, and BetOnline even covers award shows, TV shows, and reality TV. The odds are updated in real time, and there's props on almost anything you can imagine. Herb, you know, we're going to do our, our preview show where we where we go over win totals and and who's going to win divisions, pennants, and the World Series here uh, in baseball. But before we get to that show, like sort of what's keeping you uh, busy here uh, in the off season, so to speak, in terms of things that you're looking at at BetOnline.ag. Well, at BetOnline.ag, I'm seeing we just talked about the guy, and we all talk about him all year long. His name is Lucas Giolito, and if you go to betonline.ag right now for Lucas Lucas Giolito, (laughs) Lucas Giolito to get the Cy Young, it's plus 450. So that is you bet $100, you're going to win $450 if Lucas Giolito wins the Cy Young this year. He had the second most, uh, second best odds, even in front of the winner last year, Shane Bieber, who's at plus 500, the only guy with better odds right now is Garrett Cole at plus 425. So I think that's a good deal to put down $100 or so for Lucas Giolito to win this Cy Young. We know that he's great, and he takes the next step this year for a championship-contending White Sox team. So that's what I'm looking at, Chris. 
Well, BetOnline's got you covered no matter what you're looking at. you got all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best place to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts, and don't forget our promo code Locked On when you sign up for that welcome bonus. Locked on White Sox is also brought to you by Built Bar. We've been telling you guys about Built Bar, the best-tasting protein bar on the market for a while now. Built Bar is the amazing low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, amazing-tasting protein bar with 100% chocolate on all bars. And I just ordered my latest order last weekend. I'm hoping it arrives here by Wednesday because I start to get the cravings for sugar again, and I'm trying to get rid of those. But Built Bar helps when I have them. I ordered 24 Built Bars. I ordered four packs of six, my old fail-safe coconut, and I'm trying out two new flavors to me, cookies and cream and mint brownie. And also I ordered German chocolate cake. That's one of my favorite things in the world, and they managed to replicate the taste of that just enough to keep me satisfied from my sweet cravings. And so far it's working pretty well for me. I'm down a few pounds, and I have Built Bar to thank for that for substituting what I would normally have, cookies or cake or candy. I switched those out for Built Bar after dinner at night and sometimes in the afternoon at work, and boom, uh, the cravings are almost gone. And now I just like Built Bars because they're delicious and they keep me full. So go to BuiltBar.com or follow them on Twitter at Built underscore Bar, and they've got Built Bar Madness going on. You can vote for your favorite flavors, and you can use our promo code LOCKEDON20. Got a new promo code. It's different than the last one. Locked on 20 to get 20% off your next order. That's locked on 20 for 20% off your next order at builtbar.com. And check back with us to see who won today's matchup and who will become the best tasting protein bar. If you're the type of baseball fan that can't help but be giddy over prospects, we have the podcast for you. Locked on MLB podcast hosted by minor league play-by-play voice. Aram Layton is the only daily podcast devoted entirely to the stars of tomorrow. From Team Focus Farm System Breakdowns, Prospect rankings and interviews with some of the brightest up and comers in the game. Locked on MLB podcast is the best way to stay plugged in on the future of your favorite team, including the White Sox. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. I wanted to thank you guys for the letting us go extra long here and kind of record this. I think it's my first time meeting both of you because last year was crazy as we were supposed to do these and then uh, <laughs> everything shut down. Yeah. So like I, right now, like right around now. Yeah, it was, <laughs> we're just, I'm a teacher during the day. So we we're just talking. It was like this Friday was the Friday that we sent the kids home for two weeks. That was the statement it was two weeks. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this, this was fun, man. Like, yeah, yeah. looking forward to it. Like, we'll probably do it again uh, over the course of the season, man. It was yeah, insightful totally. stuff. After, before big series is uh, great to talk with you guys again. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. And that is part two of our conversation with Jeff Ellis of Locked On Indians. Give them a follow on social media at Locked On Indians. I want to thank Jeff for his time and his insight on Cleveland Indians baseball. We'll probably be talking to Jeff throughout the season as well. All right, so that does it for us. We'll be back tomorrow, our last show of the week. Got lots to talk about. We still have to go over our props, uh, our betonline.ag props for the White Sox, player props, season win totals, all that good stuff. I'm thinking maybe we'll get to that tomorrow. If not, the 108 tourney is launching, so we've got stuff to talk about there as well. We'll find out where Herb and I rank in the 108 tourney bracket. So uh, be back with us tomorrow. Thank you again for checking us out. We appreciate you guys so much. We'll be back tomorrow on Locked On White Sox.